Welcome to the Shine Within Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Kunarian, and I am so grateful that you are here. I'm a wife, mother of three boys, certified massage therapist, and an alcohol-free sobriety coach who helps driven women break through their alcohol dependency without the traditional 12-step program. Each week, I will bring you inspiring guests with focus on mindset, health, and spirituality, providing you the tips and tools to help you create unshakable confidence, clarity, and energy so you can unleash your creative potential and live the life of your dreams alcohol-free. So tune in for some fun, and if you are ready to shine, welcome. Because you're listening today, I want to go ahead and give you a gift. It's a gift I've crafted with immense love, care, and the wisdom of my own journey. This gift is my six-step blueprint to an alcohol-free life. It's more than just a guide. It's a heartfelt roadmap designed to navigate the terrain of living alcohol-free. Each step in this blueprint is a beacon of light, illuminating your path, guiding you towards a healthier, happier, and truly radiant version of yourself. It's your tool for empowerment filled with practical strategies and emotional insights that will resonate with your personal experiences. It's the companion you deserve on your sobriety journey. And the best part? It's been thoughtfully created for those like me who found traditional programs like AA or the 12 steps not quite aligning with their needs. So if you are ready to embrace this adventure with open arms and an open heart, go ahead and text the word GIFT, that's G-I-F-T, at 1-855-649-6196. Again, that's the word GIFT at 1-855-649-6196. And after all, this just isn't a blueprint. It's the start of your beautiful transformation. So let's embark on this journey together. Today's episode, well, let's just say it's one for the books. We'll be diving deep with a special guest who has a story that's bound to tug at your heartstrings, challenge your perspectives, and light a fire within you. Not only will we explore groundbreaking strategies to harness your inner power, but we'll also unwrap tools that you can implement in your daily life starting today. Believe me, you don't want to miss a second of this transformative conversation. So strap in, open your heart, and get ready to let your inner light blaze even brighter. Let's jump into this episode. Welcome back to the Shine Within podcast. I have Marcy McDonald. And Marcy McDonald with the rich tapestry of life experiences ranging from high-level corporate roles to backpacking journeys has defied conventional norms. Born to a genius father and a schizophrenic yet devoted mother, Marcy's life has oscillated between dining at five-star Parisian restaurants and subsisting on beans and rice, owning a luxurious home and living out of a car. A certified mindset coach and internationally recognized end-of-life doula, Marcy transitioned from a six-figure career to deep personal introspection in her 60s. Her collaboration with a neuroscientist led to the development of 70 groundbreaking exercises that reframe her inner dialogues, marking a revolutionary turn in her life and many others. Author of Build Happiness, Change Your Perspective and Change Your Life, and the soon-to-be-released Unstuck Yourself, Daily Practice with the Right Tools Will Change Your Life, Marcy has also contributed to the best-selling Transforming Your Life, Volume 5 an internationally certified end of doula and a guest expert on 
four days to save the world. Marcy is a sought-after speaker focusing on transforming negative self-talk and enhancing focus, mindset, and productivity. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marcy, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I sound so good when you read my bio. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, you are, you are. So you've experienced both like ends of the spectrum, you know, from a high-flying corporate job to living out of your car. How did these extremes shape your understanding of happiness and as well as self-worth? Well, for one thing, if nothing else, it proves that if I can change and learn how to be happy, anybody listening can change and learn how to be happy. Because it's not about, did you have the right circumstances or the right people or everything was groovy or everything was bad? It's about learning to pay attention to what you're telling yourself and understanding that you can change it. So everything has fed into who I am. I don't regret anything, even the darkest, hardest times. And you probably feel the same because if it weren't for those times, we wouldn't be who we are today and we wouldn't have the gifts that we have to share with everyone. And on a practical level, excuse me, it makes me, um, I think, a better listener because I understand whatever you've walked through, I have no right to judge it. My job is only to listen to you as deeply as possible. So few people ever feel heard. And, and that's one of my gifts. I have a listening heart. And so being in all those experiences has taught me that you don't know what someone's going through. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that because I was just talking to you before that in my recovery, I didn't go to AA. I didn't do the 12 steps. I immediately sought out a mindset coach. And that is the reason why I never went to AA. (laughs) And also the doing the 12 steps because that mindset coach taught me, like you just said, about communication and how it is very important just to be the listener. Because sometimes we always want to give our input and say something and then, you know, the person doesn't feel like, okay, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me right. So I appreciate you being a good listener. That is a beautiful gift to definitely have. And, um, but I was going to ask you, so you worked in the corporate world and then you got into entrepreneurship. At what turning point did you decide like, you know what, I'm done with the corporate world. <laughs> Let me go ahead and seek out into this coaching realm. Well, it was actually... <laughs> Kind of a long journey because um, I I worked for a company that at the time was the leader in lifelong education, you know, for people who just love to learn. And we worked in video and audio, and I was at the forefront of every new kind of course we had. And I worked with Smithsonian and National Geographic. I mean, it was just amazing people. So my area was content. I co-ran product development, and we got. Um, a guy who was chief brand officer, I reported to him, who hated our content. And that was a problem because that was my area. So we started to have a lot of conflicts. And by the last year of my job, I was literally crying every morning before I went to work. He was a, a genius in a lot of ways, and I learned a lot from him. But on the other hand, he was a bully. And so half my job became protecting my people from him, which means that my co-director and I took the brunt of everything he was handing out. Well, one night I was supposed to go on a long retreat weekend and I had let everybody know, look, I'm not working 50, 60 hours this week. I'm leaving early Friday because I have committed to doing this. And Friday at around nine in the morning, my boss said, 
hey, by the way, I'm going to take a long weekend and uh, you need to uh, work out all these intellectual property rights with National Geographic. And I said, no, that was your job. I told you what to do. You didn't do it. You said you were going to do it. I said, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I don't feel like it. And he left. So I didn't go on my retreat, obviously, <clears throat> when I was supposed to. And at about eight o'clock that night, I was brokering this deal on the phone with a VP from National Geographic, who also wasn't getting to go home. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm the only one in the building, four stories, and I am the only one here. And this has been happening to me for years and years. This, I'm done. I, I, I'm beating myself up day after day, trying to be better than everybody else in order to feel good enough. And I'm exhausted. And I, I don't enjoy any bit of it. So the next morning I was driving to what was left of the retreat, crying on the way and in the rain. And I suddenly thought, you know what? I'm giving myself permission to give my notice. And I wrote up my notice and I stuck it in the back of my notepad and I carried it with me to every meeting for six months because the, I put my house up for sale. I only told you know the people really close to me but the time wasn't right. Nothing worked out. My house wouldn't sell. I couldn't find another job. It was just ridiculous. And I kept saying, okay, there's a higher plan. There's a higher plan. You know, at least you made this decision. And I felt better in all those meetings having this notice. Well, within a five-day period, I got a note. Uh, someone wanted to buy my house, wanted me out in 20 days. Five members of my family became critically ill all at the same time. And I was the only one with the resources to help them. So I, it was like the clear calling, right? I need to go and I need to help them. And with my house selling, I thought, boom, this is time. I walked in and I gave my notice. So it was a long journey. Some people, you know, they have that flash of insight and, and they just go whether they have the money or not. But for me, it took until the conditions were right and then it was perfect. I then went and helped everybody <clears throat> and got everybody settled. And I thought, okay. I'll give everybody two or three weeks to make sure they're all good. And then I'll get another job because at the time I really was top in my field. And so after two or three weeks, I thought, you know what? I'm pretty crispy fried. I'm exhausted taking mm -hmm. care of parents and step parents and siblings. And I just need a little tiny break. So I'm going to take two more weeks and then I'll get a job. And that's when I packed up my car and headed out West and ended up traveling for 10 months and not ever getting a real job again. Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. <Yes. laughs> I love hearing stories like that. And when you were driving, you were, you were emphasized on like deep inner personal work. Can you share like some revelations that you've had during that journey? One was that I had always, I'd always been the fixer in my family, middle child, lots of alcoholism, you know, mental illness, I was the one who was always taking care of everything. And that showed in my whole corporate career too. And when I was driving around, <clears throat> I realized that I it was time for me to go without a plan. Um, Matt Higgins talks about burning the boats where you just say, go all in. And I had to practice being present, which I, I think I'd done, you know, here and there, but most of the time I was either in the past or in the future or just somewhere in the trash in my head, but not just in what was in front of me. And so while I was traveling around, I might pull into um, 
a coffee shop in uh, Montana somewhere. And I'd say, hey, do you have any good hikes here? And somebody at the coffee shop would say, oh, yeah, just out of town. And they'd draw me a little map on the back of a napkin, and I'd go. And I'd never been able to be that spontaneous before because I had been trying to hold the world on my shoulders and fix it. But clearly, I couldn't fix anything since I couldn't fix myself. And I just had to learn being present, which was hugely beneficial. In the present is where all the joy happens. Yeah, it's so true because I used to always think about my past. Oh, will me this? Oh, will me that? And I used to be worried about the future. Like, oh, what if this? What if that? <laughs> and I just needed to be here at this moment right now. Be here now. That's yeah. what I always tell myself um, to this day. Be here now. Because now it's like the present is a gift. That's why it's called present. <laughs> present moment. Yeah. I love, I, I absolutely love that. And you're, you actually take your clients through a process. Um, this is like the, the neuroscience, the areas that I told you, like, I'm not so good at, could you talk a little bit about how you were able to connect with the neuroscientist and, and how like our daily talk is very important. And because words are very powerful. And sometimes when we say things, they can kind of manifest. <laughs> yeah. It- if nothing else, the words we're telling ourselves is sometimes, yes, it does manifest. It shows up. But most of the time, if nothing else, what it's doing is creating a reality for you about how much you think you deserve, how good you are, what should be in your life. And it paints you into a corner if you're not careful, where all you can see is that you're backed up against a corner. You can't see that there's actually an entire room there. You just have to step into it. Every decision, every feeling gets colored by this belief that you're in that little tiny corner. So yes, our self-talk is hugely powerful. Um, So when I was at this previous corporate job, I had worked with a neuroscientist for, to create a course. And he reached out to me. I was doing some consulting and said, can you help me changed this book on neuroscience for leaders into an online course. I said, sure, that's what I do. He gave me the book and I sat about reading it in order to help him. And it just was like someone put a firecracker in my brain. A supernova went off because he explained things so clearly that even though I'd read some neuroscience before, whatever, I never got what was important to us about it. It was always so complex. You know, you're just wrapping your mind around the science and saying, "Ah, science. But this is actually really simple. We have an emotional mind and a rational mind. And they're literally two different parts of your brain. Now, I always thought the rational mind was in charge. I was a practical person. I was hardworking. I made my lists. I checked them off. I got everything done. Rational mind's in charge. But no, not even close. So you just blinked. And the time you blinked, the rational mind was able to process about 64 bits of information. I mean, that's a lot, right? Yeah. The emotional mind could process a quadrillion bits of information. 64 bits or a quadrillion. It's like the difference between a speck of sand and all the sand, all the beaches in the world. And that right there was so liberating, Gina, because I understood that if the emotional mind is in charge, 
no wonder nothing I have tried has worked. I mean, I've tried yoga. I've tried Tai Chi. I've read a million self-help books. I've gone to retreats. I've gone to spas. I tried drinking. That definitely didn't work for me either. You know, I tried lots and lots of things, spending lots of money, having lots of sex. Nothing penetrated because if you don't change what's inside, no matter how many things you try on the outside, it's not going to work. But when you understand you have an emotional mind that's in charge and you have an irrational, a rational mind that's saying, ah, emotional mind's in charge. I don't have to do anything. Ah, she's got it. You know, I just sit back. I haven't done it. It's, it's completely off the charts different from what I thought was going on in my brain. And so once I understood that, I understood also that in order to work through all this negative self-talk and history and everything that we've, we're all carrying around, I don't care how healthy your upbringing was, everybody's got junk they're carrying around mm -hmm. in their heads. And whether you're aware of it or oblivious to it, we're carrying it around. So you have to balance the emotional mind with the rational mind. And you have to call on that rational mind in order to say to the emotional mind, hold on a second, let's balance out. I want to be in charge here for just a minute and let's unpack what's going on. What are you feeling? Oh, where did that feeling come from? Well, for the emotional mind to work that fast, it pulls from the past and it pulls where there's the most energy, which is what, the positive past or the negative past? What do you think? It's the negative. The negative, exactly. <laughs> it's like sparking all around in the background and the emotional mind oh, says, aha, yeah. uh -huh, this is just like that time 20 years ago when that guy dissed me or when my mother said I was no good or I would never amount to anything. And yeah. we apply that like icing on top of the cake that is the present and say, oh, this is a mm -hmm. chocolate cake. This is what this means when it has nothing to do with it. We're applying that recollection of the past onto that present moment in order to know how to react. So we react. And that's why it doesn't matter if you read a good self-help book or you went to a great AA meeting. You haven't practiced doing things a different way. But when you start working with this neuroscience piece, you can teach your brain to pause disrupt that emotional mind, the lava flow, and ask yourself what's really going on. And once you can ask yourself what's going on, then you can start saying, well, what do I want to have going on? I have a choice here. What do I want my choice to be? Do I, how does it make me feel when I hear what my partner said and it makes me think, oh, I'm a piece of crap. It's just like when my dad used to say that to me. Well, it makes me feel bad, right? So why would I be choosing that feeling? You get to then, once you start examining it, and in very simple processes, choose different things. And because of how the brain is, okay, it sabotages us on the one hand, but it's amazing, miraculous on the other hand, because we can change our belief system. So if you imagine a tree and hear all the beliefs, and we say, oh, wait a minute, this belief makes me feel bad about myself. I don't want that one anymore. You say over here, this is what I actually see as real about myself. I am a kind person. I'm not unthinking and uncaring. So you say, I'm going to build a bridge between this old thought and the new thought. 
by stating it in a true way whenever this thought comes up. Now what happens when you say it 30 to 60 days, this thought, the branch dies. This thought builds a bridge. And you've got now a new understanding of yourself. And with with coaching, with mindset work, you can go through all those things that come up in your self-talk and start repatterning them. It's just brilliant. I love it. Yes. And that's what I do with my clients. That's awesome. Yes. Reframing the mindset. That's right. How do you tell your story? Like, you know, something happened. Do you want to take it negatively or just like, you know what? That's okay. Because something else is probably going to happen that's going to come my way. That's even better. (laughs) So just switching things like that actually really does help. Yeah. How you tell your story is really important. I haven't thought about this in a while, so I'm glad you brought it up. But I used to always tell my story. We're a family of storytellers, right? So you always got a story. Um, And I used to always tell my story in the, oh, poor Marcy way. (laughs) I might try to make you laugh, but I also somehow make you feel like, oh, she had to overcome so much. Poor pitiful Marcy. And one day I heard myself and I thought, screw that. I don't want anybody to think of me as poor pitiful Marcy. I want them to think of me as confident, bold, you know, pay attention to the world and live it fully, Marcy. I got through all that stuff. That's what I want you to think about me, not, oh, poor thing. And that was that was a choice, but it took hearing yourself. And this is really, and you probably know this too, you saw this, I'm sure, in recovery, really learning to hear what you're telling yourself mm. is one of the most challenging parts of this. The steps are pretty easy. Learning how to reframe, that takes a coach who can help you understand it. But then once you get the pattern, it's okay. But at first, just learning to hear and notice and pay attention to what you're telling yourself so that you can say, oh, hold on, you're speaking badly to yourself. You're being a bully, Marcy. Oh, well, you're right, I am. And do something about it. Because most people are so used to how they speak to themselves, they never even notice it. Never notice it. More than 70% of the population has negative self-talk at some point or another. And I think it's probably more than that because we're not aware of it. I've worked with clients who, you know, are talking away and they don't even hear that they've just called themselves fat or they just said they can never do something or that's okay for other people, but not for them or, you know, whatever it is, we have to notice it. And then we can do everything. Right. Yes. It's like how we talk to ourselves. Would we say that to a little child or to a stranger that we don't even know? Why are we hit? Why are we hating on ourselves so much? How do we love ourselves, Marcy? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to realize you are perfectly lovable just as you are. But to do that requires some unpacking. So um, I recently had a client, a wonderful client. I just adore her, who we realized when we did some inner child work, starting from when she was about nine, started to get all this negative messaging about herself and expectations about what it would take to be lovable from her school and from her family. Nobody meant to do this to her, but it created lifelong patterns, like 35 years of lifelong patterns of really not thinking she was good enough to love. And once she saw that and started to see where it came from, I'm, I'm not a therapist, but we could start doing things to change that pattern. 
So therapists, you know, are amazing. I've certainly spent lots of years in therapy, but most of my clients say, look, I've spent decades in therapy and I never changed as much as I do and have with you because it's about recognizing what's going on and then saying, I don't choose that anymore. Here's what I'm going to do instead. And actually being very practical about on a day-to-day basis, paying attention to what you want and building these bridges so that you can shift how it is you really feel about yourself. So you do love yourself. It takes practice. Sometimes it takes faking it till you make it. But if you do it repeatedly, 30 to 60 days, you build a new habit. That's right. Yeah. So starting to look in the mirror and be like, you know what? Even though if you don't feel good, you say, you know what? I am beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You put some passion in there, you know, <laughs> you know, because the, the emotional part there is very important, like you were saying. <laughs> yeah, it is true. And, um, but it also has to be true what you tell yourself. So I'm sure you have tried affirmations, you know, affirmations are when we make kind of a declaration and it's, it's out there. It's not present. It's in the future. I say, I'm wealthy. I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars in my business this year, or I'm going to have meet the man or woman of my dreams this year. Those are affirmations. They're beliefs. They're not true yet in order. And they're, they're fine because they at least get you directed in a positive way. Right. But they're not true. So when you're trying to repattern your brain and you're not making 10,000 this month, you might look at that up on your refrigerator and you might say it aloud, but you know, it's a lie because you haven't done it yet. And all it does is reinforce what you think is true about yourself, which is that you're a failure, that you can't do it. You'll never find a great mate or you'll never lose the weight or whatever. I had a client who, um, on her refrigerator, she had a picture of this woman in a bikini with the tape measure around her waist and sucking it all in. And it said, I am thin. Well, this woman was maybe 20, 25 pounds overweight. Every time she looked at that, she didn't believe she was thin. She believed she was failing at being thin because it just said, I am thin. And she could say, I'm not thin. So you have to tell yourself true things. You have to build a bridge. She could say to herself, she learned to say, to be healthy, I need to lose 20 pounds. There's no judgment in that. Here's the difference. I'm fat. I need to lose 20 pounds. You take the judgment out of it. You make it a true statement. And then your mind can start filling in what you need to do to lose those 20 pounds because now there's no judgment. When there's judgment, everything comes to a halt. Or we make decisions that aren't going to get us where we really want to be. Your reframing has to be true and it has to be without judgment. So it's positive, neutral, without judgment and true. That makes total sense. Yes, because sometimes affirmations, when you're saying something, you don't feel it. It's not resonating with you. It's not going to work. (laughs) You're like, it's not right. This doesn't feel right to me. No, and I I feel really bad. I've, I've met people who say, well, you know, my coach said I just wasn't, I just had a bad money mindset and that's why I'm failing at my business. And that puts the onus on the person instead of the coach. The coach needed to be able to say, here's, the bridge to believing in yourself enough to do the work to do that. Because when we don't believe in ourselves, it's very hard to do the work or we work overboard 
like I used to do in order to prove ourselves at the cost of everything that was inside of me. The onus is on the coach to show you what to do today throughout Mm -hmm. the day to make those changes in yourself, which are entirely possible for every single person here. Yes. And now do you work with entrepreneurs as well? I work with entrepreneurs. Um, I work with a lot of very successful women who have gotten to a point where they're waking up at night saying, oh my God, is this all there is? You know, I gave everything and I don't feel anything anymore. So I work a lot with both entrepreneurs and, and very successful people. Yes. And so I noticed with entrepreneurship, because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I collaborate with many entrepreneurial women. The biggest thing they always say is, you know, I have, I, there's so much on my plate that I have learned so much, but I don't get any of it done or they're into perfectionism all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both those things are huge. Procrastination or perfectionism. Um, one of the things I've realized over the last seven or so years since I've been working with this is that First of all, you need really deep focus to get anything done. And you need to focus on one thing at a time. When your mind is in disarray, your emotional mind is not uh, in harmony, then anything becomes more important than that deep focus. Either you say, I can't get to it because it's not going to be good enough, or you're trying to make it perfect so you, you you never launch because it has to be just right and it's not just right. You spend, I met a lot of entrepreneurs who will buy one system after another or, you know, one class after another. If I just know enough, then I'll be ready to launch. All those are just your brain saying you're going to fail. So just wait, wait until it's perfect. Wait until you know enough. In the meantime, as entrepreneurs, we know you, you actually only have a kind of a narrow window of time before your money runs out again, right? <laughs> right. So, but that's why I think the most important thing for an entrepreneur is to be emotionally healthy because then you can start saying, here are the things I need to do. This is what I need to do today. This is the most important thing today. This will move the needle. These are my <clears throat> superficial things. I need to get them done. But I don't get them done until I do the one most important thing. They're the whirlwind of stuff that needs to get done. And if it drops off, it drops off. We also learn to say, hey, I had a webinar and nobody came. Oh, woe is me. Everybody hates me. I can't do this. You know, (laughs) I'm sure you've heard this. Yeah. Because that's what happens when you're building a business. Nobody shows up. Right. You have to do a little tap dance and say, well, what went wrong? You know, do I do this again? Do I do something else? Do I charge for it? Whatever. But the one thing you don't do is say, I, it's my fault. I'm, I'm a failure. The thing you tried to do might have failed or come way below your expectations. But that still doesn't mean you're a failure. Ultimately, maybe your business will fail. That still doesn't mean you're a failure. So when you take things personally, that's a sign of an emotionally unhealthy mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's in your way as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So what I've done, I've done those master classes. I've done those like workshops and everything. And, you know, I don't have a show up, right? But I'm like, you know what? Everything is recorded. I will make this into some type of content, you know, and I'll repurpose it somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have to do something, yeah. shift it to something else. And then I'm okay. And it's like practice for me as well. Anyway, I'm like, okay, well, no one showed up. I'm just going to practice <laughs> speaking yeah. publicly. It is great practice. And um, 
every entrepreneur, and I've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs because I network a lot. You know, I meet a lot of people. Everybody tries stuff. And a lot of people try things that, you know, the big wigs have said, pay me a lot of money and I'll teach you my secret. The secret is doing a podcast. The secret is doing a webinar. The secret is you never charge. The secret is you charge a lot. It doesn't really matter. You try everything and see what spaghetti sticks to the wall. And the whole time you just say, hey, look at me. I'm a person who's trying. I have this idea. I'm a person who's willing to keep trying it different ways yeah. and bring it all in. That didn't work. Fine. Fine. Didn't work. It's like I made a cake and it fell. Oh, that was me the other day. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't work. You know, you can still eat the frosting. Um yeah, I was making a bun cake and it turned it over. I'm like, oh, all oh, that work. I know. I know. It's frustrating, right? <laughs> it was but, fun, though. It was a good experience, though. <laughs> I enjoyed it. But it tasted yeah. great, though. Crumbled and everything. It tasted fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds good. See? Yeah, see? Yeah, the little shifts like that. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about what, okay, I know what a doula is, but what is an end of life doula? I've never heard of that before. Oh, so yeah, most people are familiar with birth doulas, bring people into the world, help the mom, the dad, um, the whole family. And an end-of-life doula, we help people leave this world. So it, a lot of things have happened, not just in our country, but all over the world, really since the Civil War, when people dying became an industry instead of a family affair. So it used to be mom died, you put her in the parlor for a few days, everybody came to visit, brought casseroles, and then you went out in the backyard and you buried mom. It was natural. We understood it. But with the Civil War came along a whole industry where people took away the dead. It came because people were dying all over the country and, you know, they we didn't have a way to ship them back. So the funeral industry sprung up and it became something that we don't talk about or do or face even. It's, you know, they take care of it. The problem with that is that we actually still die and people in our family still die and we get diagnosed with things. And so there has become this gap between the medical profession, which is trying to save everybody no matter what, and hospice, which says, uh, you know, we'll put you on usually some morphine or something and take care of you the last couple of days. And I'm not knocking hospice either because they're amazing people who support hospice. But they also have guidelines because most of them in the U.S. are according to Medicare. So you have a chaplain, you have a nurse, you have a, a doctor, um, maybe you have a volunteer, but they all have their set roles. And for the person who's dying, they have all these questions. Like, I have regrets. Or what's actually going to happen to me? Or what's going to happen to my brother when he's actually dying? And an end-of-life doula helps the whole family deal practically, personally, and emotionally and spiritually with facing death. So we might help someone with a legacy project, for instance, you know, preparing all the things in my house. What happens when someone dies? People come in and they throw everything away. But I might say... Let's let's look at the things that really mean something to you and let's write just a little story and you'll give this thing to your niece because you know she'll get it. So you create a legacy 
for those. Or we walk through regrets, which is huge. I had a call from a woman one day who's in the height of COVID, so I couldn't go visit them. She said, my uncle has just been given a week to live, not because of COVID, something else. And she said, he's full of regrets. He feels horrible. He is definitely not at peace with his life. Can you help him? I said, in my mind, I'm going, oh my gosh, are you? I don't know. I don't know if I can, but they asked. And so I said, sure, I'll do my best. So we got on a Zoom call and the man was so weak. He literally was in his deathbed. If you just close your eyes and lay back and imagine that's how weak you are. Someone has to hold the laptop in front of you because you're too weak to hold it. And I said, tell me your life story. And so he told me everything, the highlights, the lowlights, and all the reasons why he had regrets. And at the end, I just listened. I said, can I, do I have your permission to tell you your life the way I see it? Can I reframe it for you? So, okay, I've got nothing to lose. And so I replayed his life, but instead of judging him for the places where he judged himself, I took a different perspective and I said, this didn't work, but you still did it. You are a kind, loving, loyal man. And I gave him all these examples from what he had told me, but he didn't see them that way. And at the end, his whole family was listening. At the end, he said, I never thought of myself that way. I never thought of myself Mm -hmm. as a good person or worthy in any way. And I I see I did the best I could. That's all we can do. And he completely came to peace and his whole family came to peace because for decades, their experience of him had been colored by what his self view was, Mm -hmm. even though they loved him, you know, they still saw him as a failure too. Mm -hmm. Everything shifted and he came to peace and he died several days later. So I Mm -hmm. realized in that moment, Gina, that we have to treat every single day as if it's the most important day we have. It could definitely be our last day and we do not want to be dying with regrets. Right. And so I actually front load all my programs with end of life exercises to bring you to that understanding as best I can without you actually being sick and dying, which I don't want, (laughs) but to help you imagine it because then you have so much clarity about what truly matters to you and about what you don't want to have happen to you, where your regrets would be and what you need to change with an urgency you didn't have before that says, I can't wait forever to change these things. I can't wait 40 years to start loving myself. I can't wait 40 years to start a business to, you know, whatever it is. I have to deal today with these things. So I help people at the end of their lives with those dying regrets, practical things, whatever. And then I pull that over into my coaching for the living so that everyone I work with starts from that position of understanding how very precious today is. And then they're ready to do the work. I love that. Yes. I remember I always, always coached. If you had 10 minutes to live and you knew you were going to die in 10 minutes, what would you do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, Oh my goodness, what would I do? You know, I'd be like, just be great, being grateful for a lot of things, apologizing and just, 
trying to do the best you can do. Yeah. It's a lot about living in the present, but Mm -hmm. you need to live intentionally in the present. Right. Having an understanding of what really matters. So, you know, I talk to a lot of people who are beating themselves up sometimes by beating other people up, like, I mean, not physically, but in their heads, they're Mm -hmm. angry at what someone else has done to them or, they're, you know, finishing out arguments the way they needed mm-hmm. to if they had only just thought of something at the time. And it seems like it's all about that other person. But that's still negative self-talk. It's still somebody or something negative living rent-free in your head, which you don't want. You want to choose what's living up there. That's right. I remember uh, the roommate in your head <laughs> living rent-free. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. That's right. You want them to be on your side, not against you, but you know, for you, your cheerleader. <laughs> now your book is um, coming out, Unstuck Yourself. Can you talk a little bit about your yeah, book? Yeah, and in fact, it just, it's not, it's in pre-launch. So oh, you can nice. actually get it on Amazon right now. Nice. Uh, uh, it's called Unstuck Yourself, Daily Practice with the Right Tools Will Change Your Life. So a lot of people feel stuck, right? And getting unstuck is something we try to do, but it's like we pull ourselves out of quicksand and then we just jump over into a new pile of quicksand and get stuck again. So one thing I've realized in the last seven years since I wrote my first book and then now with this book is that we get sold a load of goods with most mindset programs and joy to the world programs and all these programs out there, which give you an experience where you can feel good and feel charged up at the moment. And, you know, people have weekends or they have one day or, or they have coaching that costs $50,000 or whatever it is. But unless you're going to do the work, it doesn't matter. They're all just good ideas and they're useless unless you start applying them. So what I did is I pulled together my three, the three mainstays of my coaching, which are um, number your days, you know, understand today could be your only day. So you got to live it, love it and learn from it. Shift your self-talk because the biggest way to be present in your life is and happy is to make sure your self-talk is emotionally healthy. And then third, you use those two to live in your now. That's being present. And so in the book, I walk through those three processes with many very practical explanations of how this works in your life and things to try because I don't want you to go out there and not do anything. (laughs) I want you to start trying. Even if you only start to understand the difference between the emotional mind and the rational mind so you can pay attention to what's going on, that's something. But change happens when you do something. And most of it happens when you practice. You don't get to be a pianist if you never play. You don't get to be in shape if you never work out. You don't get to be a podcast host if you don't have some podcasts on a regular basis. Yeah, right. It all takes practice. But the practice is easy once you develop it as a new habit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's out right now. Go get it. Yeah, go get it. I will have all the links in the show notes, but where can people follow you, find you, work with yes. you? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so my website is selfmasterytransformation.com or you can go to marcymcdonald.com. It's really, it's the same website. Nice. Um, and then you also have a listener's gift. I do. 
The okay, seven great. steps to silence your inner <laughs> critic, right? The seven steps that, to silence that, your inner critic. Remember. Yes, yes. So this is, uh, you know, we've danced all around your self-talk, but this gives you seven things you can start doing right away to change, notice and change that inner voice, your inner critic. Who that's, needs it? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Who needs that? The inner voice telling us negative stuff all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's free and it's it's a launching pad for everybody listening. So thanks that's for remembering awesome. us. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, and uh, anything else you'd like to share? Uh, no, I'm on LinkedIn too. If anybody wants to connect with me, I am... I'm really excited to help people shift from having limiting beliefs to unlimited beliefs, unlimited and unlimiting beliefs. And I just invite people listening to pay attention like today and over the next couple of days. What are you telling yourself that's making you feel bad? That's holding you back, keeping you down. Is it a limiting belief or an unlimiting belief? And if it's a limiting belief, you don't have to keep it anymore. You don't have to feed it. You can change it. And I want you to because you'll feel better. Absolutely. That's great advice. Yes. Thank you so much, Marcy. It was such a pleasure having you on my show today. And I look forward to reading your book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks, Gina. Great conversation. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. I want to give a shout out to Feedspot. They recognized my show as being on the 50 best women's sobriety podcasts. I'm super excited about that and I couldn't have done it without you. I also want to introduce my new mini course. It is called Overcoming Challenges. So if you're having difficulty in everyday life with things happening that are unexpected or you're like, how do I handle this? I have the tool. <laughs> I will leave those links in the show notes. And if you are wanting to be part of my newsletter, make sure you text the word SHINE, that's S-H-I-N-E at 1-855-649-6196. Again, that's 1-855-649-6196. Please make sure you leave a five-star review if this podcast is for you. Love you.